0: Welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host. Our guest author, joining us from our offices in Washington, D.C., is Father Carter Griffin, and his book is Forming Fathers, Seminary Wisdom for Every Priest, published by Emmaus Road, available naturally through our EWTN religious catalog. EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. Welcome, Father, once again to EWTN's Bookmark.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, the last time you actually were here, uh, pre-pandemic, we talked about your book on celibacy. Now you're joining us from D.C. Now, you actually wrote another book that we missed in between on, what was it on, apologetics?
1: Yeah, a book called Cross-Examined, and it sort of looks at a lot of, basically it's turning uh, our apologetics workshops with seminarians into, into a book for a larger audience, and that's basically what this book is, too. It's, a, uh, it's, a, it's taking a number of talks that I gave to seminarians over the years and, um, and publishing them, but really publishing them still order to seminarians and priests, but I think there's a lot in there that right. might also be helpful for a wider audience.
0: Now the dedication, it says, this book is dedicated to the priests who have mentored, inspired me through the years. You go on to say, words cannot express my gratitude to them and to the many other holy priests who have blessed my life. What did they do to inspire you?
1: I think the first thing they did is they showed me what it meant to love uh, as a priest, as a, as a spiritual father. And um, I was just talking to someone recently, and he, a, a seminarian actually, and he was, uh, he saw the pure beautiful love of a, of a young lady for her spiritual father. He would, she was going to confession and there were a lot of priests there and she like, oh I didn't know father was here. And so she wanted, and, and this seminarian seeing her, her love for her spiritual father was something very inspiring for him. Uh, I think somehow that also impressed itself on my heart that these men were able to love in such a way that I felt the father 's love through them well I think that 's one thing uh, that they that they certainly did. Mm-hmm. I think they also gave me uh, kind of uh, hope that the life of a priest would be a joyful life, and it certainly has been for me and I think that uh-huh. to be able to see that on their to be to see that in their lives was really important. yeah, I was going to ask you because
0: uh, and you trying to deal with it in in the book because one of the images of priests today isn't
1: particularly joyful is it Right. I think that's right I think a lot of folks think that priests live kind of dure, difficult you know sacrificial unhappy lives Um, I don't know where that comes from I mean there's really not much evidence for that uh, Mm -hmm. either anecdotally or or even in studies I mean in fact study after study shows priests are on average much much happier than than their kind of lay equivalents or counterparts um, I suppose some of it might come from the fact that priests are celibate and people assume that, you know, not being married would be, you know, you can't have a happy life without that. Um, some of it might also be in personal experience. Maybe some priests don't show their joy as well as, as, as we ought to. Um, but the fact of the matter is that being a priest and giving your life entirely to Christ, serving the people of God, being ministers of the sacraments, preaching the gospel, basically spending your lives, spending your life Helping people go to heaven. I mean, there's, it's hard to imagine a more beautiful life than that. I feel like I won the lottery myself. And, and obviously, every vocation has its own beauties. Uh, but I certainly see and appreciate and, and grateful for the beauties of this vocation. Well, so I think you, I saw that in those in those mentors coming
0: up. Right. Do you think part of the problem is people don't think they really need much help getting to heaven these days?
1: Well, I think that might be part of it. And I think there can be, and I think there has been, sort of a maybe a crisis of confidence uh, on the part of some priests, maybe especially some decades ago, where it wasn't any long, I mean, there are a lot of folks that thought, yeah, you don't, everyone goes to heaven anyway, or, you know, if you do go to heaven, it's basically because of your own efforts, kind of the Pelagian heresy, you know, it rears its ugly head, age Mm -hmm. after age. Um, I think a lot of that is in the past, I think, you know, while a lot of folks still believe that kind of thing. Um, I think priests recognize, no, the importance of the sacraments, the importance of preaching, the importance of missionary work, the importance of, pre- of, of, of apostolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and while the Second Vatican Council is very clear that apostolate doesn't belong only to priests and religious, uh, it certainly does belong in a, in a very special way to priests and religious. And um, all of us are involved in that work. But priests have a unique role in that. So while there has been, I think, some maybe lack of confidence sometimes over the last decades, mm-hmm. my experience with the young men coming into seminary today is that they have a very clear sense, based upon their own experience with priests, of the importance of the priesthood.
0: Now you talk about the priesthood right in the very beginning, that you look for the same virtues that would make a great or a good husband and father in the priest, and then you say fathers of daughters, I think, grasp the necessary qualities for seminary candidates. The formation of priests is something like gagel. Gauging potential son-in-laws. How so? Yeah,
1: that that sort of came to me actually when someone uh, gave me that example. I actually quote him in the book there, um, and he he talked about his son going off to propose to his girlfriend, um, and his son comes back home having spoken to her father, and uh, my friend says, "Well, how did it go, son?" And he goes, "Well, Dad, you know, uh, he didn't throw me a parade." <laughs> you know, the, the idea being that it was. That he had to prove himself, he had to prove his medal, whether he was worthy to to be the husband of his daughter, of that man's daughter, and uh, and 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 that was something both intimidating for him, but also inspiring to him. You know that that the father loved his daughter so much, he was going to make sure that she married, you know, someone worthy of her. And the work in seminary formation is really to help prepare these young men to become spiritual fathers, and in a sense stepping into the place of Christ, the bridegroom of of the church, and to make sure that that we are providing worthy, worthy grooms, um, worthy friends of the bridegroom, right. you know, and, and, and so that's part of the work that we do in the seminary. Um, and every priest, just like every man, every husband and every father uh, is called day by day to try to grow into the greatness of his vocation, you know, as a spiritual, fa- as a father and as a husband. Uh, so I think that that's an important kind of lens through which to see seminary formation. It's an important lens through which to see our own priestly life. Uh, and and to know that we we're never quite there. you know, we're 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 never at the stage where kind of formation is formation is complete.
0: Well, you say the church, too, has a right to expect, I think, following on with that, her priest to be serious, honorable, capable of taking care of her children. Seminaries do not only form priests, they first form disciples. Indeed, they first form yeah. men. These stages of growth, manhood, discipleship, and fatherhood are the template for the formation of future priests and provide the structure for this book. Were we missing some of those steps for a while in
1: the seminary? It's, well, it's a great question. I mean, I think part of what was happening is that culture was so different that so much of the formation, the human formation, and even the kind of the basic Christian formation was already happening mm-hmm. before a young man got to the seminary uh, in his family, and his parish church. I think what we found is that we are no longer able to count on that as a given. We can no longer presume that. Uh, and probably there was maybe too much presumption going on uh, in the past and we saw some of the dreadful effects of that perhaps of men who are not well screened or not well formed uh, humanly especially and um, but also spiritually. Uh, and so I think part of it is just a recognition that this is part of what it means to be a priest. A spiritual father is first of all you have to be a disciple of Christ. A disciple is more Mm -hmm. fundamental than being a priest, you know, and we all are disciples and we share in that together. And even before one is a disciple, one has to be a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. And so in this sense, kind of making sure that our manhood is solid, making sure that the discipleship is solid so that we can then build the virtues of the spiritual father. And as you said a moment ago, I think those virtues are very similar to those of husbands and fathers. who are not priests and and that's what I, I think I meant by saying that you know I think a lot of a ver- lot of the a lot of the formation uh, in the seminary is actually applicable outside the seminary because just as a husband and a father first needs to be a good man and a disciple of Christ, so too does a priest and so it's building in some of those virtues that are needed and incidentally that also I think serves as kind of the lens or the paradigm through through which screening should be done mm-hmm. right A man coming into the seminary and I used to be the vocation director, and I still have some roles in that capacity as rector, men coming into the seminary, really what we're looking for is, can I see this man being a good husband and father? And if the answer is yes, mm-hmm. then probably the answer is he's also, he would also make a fine priest. You know, I mean, need, we all need formation, you know, but, right. but that sense that it's, the, it's really the same package.
0: Well, you make the point here, how do we prepare priests for their life of, as, of spiritual paternity? Anthropologists have pointed out that fatherhood demands a deliberate effort at formation in a way that motherhood often does not. You go on to say it takes a decisive and deliberate effort to form their fatherly qualities. That is one important goal of priestly formation. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, right. I mean, I'm sure if, uh, if a mother were here, she would say that women, the motherhood also needs to be formed, and that certainly is true, that, that mothers grow into their vocation as well. But I do think that at the order of nature, there is much more built in um, to a woman having a child in her womb for for months and months and months and bringing the child to bear. There's hormonal things that are going on that are kind of assisting her in her work as a mother. The father, as we know tragically all too often, uh, doesn't have those same experiences and and sometimes isn't even around when the child is born or even worse, you know, while the child is still in the womb, uh, wanting the child to go away right and so there's something about fatherhood that is a kind of it's a cultural achievement when we build into our our wider culture this this culture that forms and sets up as a kind of a framework in which men are 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 led to become more faithful fathers more faithful husbands you know there to guide and and to pro- provide for their children and their and their wives that is an achievement that has not existed in every culture and frankly is disappearing in our culture so just as there needs to be a kind of a cultural formation for young men to become good husbands and fathers so too does there need to be that and that's what we call the seminary uh... in the order for spiritual fathers that young men who are coming along are you don't just sort of you know show them how to hear confessions and say mass and ordain them i mean there's a whole kind of preparation of the human person just as there is for natural fatherhood and and being a husband so that's kind of what we're aiming to do in the, in the seminary environment as much as we can you say
0: many of us priests i think and identify with the ephesian christians in the book of revelation you go on to say even the hardest workers in the vineyard of the lord can start to lose their first love after a period of time they find their own heart has cooled. Then you go on to talk about the expectations of a young man forms and the resolution he makes in the seminary, then run headlong into the demands of the parish and the ordinary challenges of priestly life.
1: Yeah, yeah I think and that's probably again not unique to the priesthood that that I think all of us can enter this Period of these these seasons in our life where some of the initial fervor, some of the initial zeal, some of the initial uh, fire has cooled off a little bit, um, and we need to take those seriously. I don't think we need to necessarily change what we're doing. Um, you know, it doesn't mean we need a change of life, or change our job, or change our family, or anything like that what it does mean though is that we need to take stock and realize we need to go back to the sources you know what what brought us here to fall back in love with our bride um, to take seriously once again what it was like to first our hold you know our child in our in in our in our hands uh and then as the analogy and then for the priesthood i think the equivalent is like what brought me into the seminary what brought me all the way through seminary to ordination you know what was it like the first time I heard a confession, or the first time I celebrated mass? What was it like the first time I realized that I had helped someone come back from a life which they were on their way to a dreadful end? You know, and and because the Lord used me in that moment, something changed in them. I mean, these are irreplaceable moments, but they can be forgotten. You know, in the kind of the, the topsy turvy quality of of daily life. So mm-hmm. I think coming back to the sources, and that's part of the reason why why the book is out is just because I thought that it might, it might be helpful in a number of people had suggested that, that it might be helpful just for priests to be able to go back to some of the things they might have heard in the seminary, um, and to try to recover some of that, some of that fire, and ultimately that's a gift from the Lord, right, and we won't always have, you know, it's not always going to be kind of, uh, you know, daffodils and butterflies, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be, there are going to be hard times in life, and we right. all have those experiences, uh, but we can, we can always at least remember why, you know, and that, right. when, once you know why, as you know, many people have said, you can, you can do anything. Right, Uh, you talk about uh, the toughness, the uh, dealing with impatient
0: and overly critical parishioners. Then you go on to you talk about the idea that that is much different today than it even was less 50 years ago. Which is that our culture is increasingly intolerant of Catholic moral teachings and trivializes religious freedom. And not only are there divisions in the culture, but divisions inside the church, which leads to divisions obviously inside the parish itself. So how does a priest manage that? In today's world,
1: yeah, it's an enormous question. I mean, because we, people are already primed in a sense for uh, for, a, for a manner of debate which has lost the capacity to disagree well. I think mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the I was giving a talk the other day to a group of of young couples and families, and I you know, said so one of the one of the important things about the families and the children that you're raising is that you're raising them in an environment where they are learning how to agree and disagree well. Um, and and that's something that a lot of young people don't have today. They're not growing up in these kind of environments either. They come from, you know, very very small families or single children or whatever, where they don't necessarily have as many opportunities for that, or they're growing up so plugged into a digital world where the back and forth of ordinary life doesn't really happen in the same way and so this capacity to get together and disagree with each other has really diminished over time. So what I think a priest needs to do is first of all he needs to himself be confident in who he is and what he brings, right? That he can't sort of be, you know, going from side to side depending on how the wind is blowing. Um, he also needs to be really clear about what the church teaches, right? These things are not up for up for debate. We can discuss maybe how things are applied and and certainly there are going to be prudential judgments involved, but those things that are that are irreformable they they're there that way and those are moorings for us those are the solid foundations so i think you start from those two points of view but then we have to be very patient, you know, and very loving, and hopefully bring people into a situation where they know that what binds them together in the faith is stronger than anything that divides them, and so s- slowly build back up right. this culture in which we can get along in a, in a very solid and healthy way, in, an, in, uh, in a way that doesn't compromise uh, anything essential, um, and yet with all of our differences still acknowledge each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. That's, that's a tall order, but it's something that right. some priests do exceptionally well, and we can learn more from them.
0: Talking about structure and foundation, you, you, you break this book up into three sections, Formation on Manhood, Discipleship, and Spiritual Fatherhood. Why did you decide to break that up that way?
1: Well, I think, um, uh, you know, these are, in, in seminary formation, we have these different areas of formation, um, one of them being human, kind of the foundation, and then one of them being spiritual, and then, of course, intellectual, philosophy and theology, primarily languages, uh, and then pastoral, right, the apostolate, doing the work. And so, all of these different—they're they're different, they're different sort of aspects of our humanity um, that each need to be developed and formed. By the way, those four areas of formation I think are very applicable to raising children in a family, and frankly, to our own personal ongoing formation as well. But what I think I found, what I, what I found as I looked at the, at the talks over the years, I, this is my 12th year now in, the, in seminary formation, mm-hmm. as I looked at the talks over the years, they tended naturally to fall into these categories of, is it really about the, the guy's manhood itself, which could be applicable to anybody, mm-hmm. is, it, is it applicable more to him be, just being a Christian? I mean, when we're talking about, you know, the, the virtue of friendship or mm-hmm. sincerity or humility, I mean, that's not necessarily priests. that's just any, anyone who's a Christian and then some of them were very specifically about the priesthood about spiritual fatherhood when we start talking about you know holy mass and you know different things like that so uh in terms of celebrating being the celebrant so these are I found them to be a natural Mm -hmm. separation but I think it's also helpful kind of chronologically in a sense as you read through it you sort of see that building these foundations you know from the ground up you don't start on the twelfth floor you know you start at the ground floor as you're building an edifice
0: well you you talk about even the idea that you don't start as a father you start as a son right and you first have to acknowledge that sonship that leads to the father. In a in section on Christian gentlemen, you start off with George Washington. I thought you were going to tell me a conversion story I was unaware of, but I, I guess he was copying some information from some Jesuits. So there's a church connection there. You also make the point about naturalness. You say naturalness, I think, is a very Catholic notion. What is naturalness and why is
1: it so Catholic? Gosh, that's a hard one. I mean, it's, it's sort of one of these things, you know it when you see it, right? Naturalness, I think, is a lack of artificiality, a lack of pretense, a lack of kind of, um, uh, sort, of you, sort of replacing natural virtue with a kind of an affected piety. Um, you know, it's, it's the <laughs> you know, the 15 rosaries or whatever, where, where it's like this is and, and I don't mean to sort of tease anyone's piety or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I think for a priest he has to be a man for everybody. and that that means that he has to be there's a kind of a, a normal, a normalness, a normal quality of sincerity, a genuineness. He's able to kind of interact with people wherever they are, uh, men and women, old and young, rich and poor. And to do that, it can't be sort of so singular and focused on his own very narrow or specific kind of piety. So I think the naturalness that I think I see most important in the seminarian is one in which he can he has a good sense of humor. He can laugh at himself. Uh, he's easy to to be friend. Easy easy to talk to. Easy, you know, an easy friend to have. Um, someone who's a good listener, right? So there, it's not a, a kind of an affected religiosity, but it's a religion that has penetrated so deeply into his humanity that his humanity then comes out. Uh, in a very supernatural way, and yet no one would even know. You know, it's just he's a, he's a, he's another he's another man, and he's just a friendly, you know, well-mannered um, um, young man who is who is also able to exude mm-hmm. uh, the grace of Christ working through him, and it does so in a way that I think is extremely attractive. I think it's actually one of the mm-hmm. one of the bridges, you know, towards the gospel is when somebody meets. A Christian who is normal and fun and enjoyable and is able to talk about ordinary things and sports right. and all the rest of it, and yet at the same time has a very deep interior life—that can be an extraordinarily powerful avenue towards uh, apostle as well. And it's not put on; it's not right. done for the sort of, in a sense, for the sake of of, of getting apostle, or get, getting converts or something. It just comes out very naturally, and I think that's what I'm trying to right. trying to capture in that sense of naturalness.
0: One thing you alluded to in a section on friendship. There's so much here in this book to get to. Female friendships. I thought this was interesting. As I mentioned before, it's important that we have both male and female friends. It's also important to remember that these relationships are different. How so?
1: Yeah, this is always a, every year this comes up as, it's, it's a tricky thing, right? So men and women, um, we, you know, whatever the wider culture may say, are different. Uh, and those differences also play out in terms of our relationship with, with, with each other. I think these seminarians and priests should have and do have good friends who are, who are both men and women. But they're growing up in an age, well, first of all, a lot of them come to the seminary pretty young, and so they still have that sense of, you know, what you might have in, in elementary school almost, you know, where you, boys and girls are kind of interchangeable. Obviously, by high school, that's different. But um, there's still that sense of, you know, my best friend could be a, could be a girl. And, and so one of the things I point out is, that, look, there's just something kind of unrealistic about that, regardless mm-hmm. of your vocation. I mean, a, a married man is probably not going to say his best friend is another woman. Um, so there's there's kind of a we have to be not naive we have to be sort of there's a there's something that is kind of prudential in this um, and yet at the same time you know uh, men and women precisely because they're different offer each other things that that simply having friends with your own sex is not gonna is not gonna have and so knowing that you um, that you have friends who, we, I, one phrase I use is sort of friendly but not familiar you know as they're interacting with women. You know uh, that they're able to have kind of good conversations and and even go even go deeper but they're not going to be able to pour themselves out uh in in a in a way without hindrance like they might with with one of the other seminarians for example where there there isn't the possibility of it becoming in any way kind of strange or um, misunderstood or eroticized or anything Mm -hmm. like that right so that we need to have deep deep friendships and the deepest friendships our deepest friendship is with the lord and he has to be our sufficiency You know, and then the, the, the second deepest friendship is going to be with brother priests and seminarians who are going through the same thing, obviously our own uh, family members. Um, and then we have a wider group of friends among whom are going to be women. Um, one, one kind of rule of thumb I often will say is, well, what would a married man do? With um, with another woman, for example, a, a married man could easily, you know, go get coffee, a uh, colleague at work, or something like that, and they can have a conversation about their families or whatever. But they're probably not going to go out to a movie at night, you know, or hang out together in the evening. Right. They're probably not going to spend lots and lots of time together, right? There's certain things that just at the normal human condition, being what it is. Right. So that's what I try to impress on them, and I say, look, there's a lot of gray area here, um, and you know, you just want to have people in your life that you trust that you can consult with and get good advice from in, for the specifics.
0: Well, you say the point is that you have to be careful, and he's talking, talking to seminarians. Female friendship seminarians don't seem to realize how attractive many times they are to women. And then later on you say, even with good boundaries, you'll probably find yourself falling in love with someone that you meet. That's not a bad thing, actually. It means you have a heart. It
1: doesn't mean you don't have a vocation. Right. Yeah, and I think I don't remember. I think falling in love is in quotes because right. it's really more of a, a kind of infatuation. You know, right. I mean, and this can happen to a married man. It can happen to an unmarried man. It can happen to a priest. It can happen to women. I mean, it's just it's one of these things where you kind of can't can't get someone out of your mind, um, and these things just over time kind of dissipate. It. it, it it doesn't really mean that, that much. The problem is when we give it more weight than it actually deserves or we imagine that you know, this suddenly means that I, you know, it can, and this happens you know, because of the superficiality of, of our understanding of love so common today. You know, a man with a family, I know people like this, you know, a man with a family, wife and children, you know, meets somebody at work or something like that and f- sort of falls head over heels, he thinks, which is basically just infatuation, and leaves mm-hmm. his own family, you know, and thinking, well, this is real love now, and I'm supposed to follow my heart and realize my full potential, or whatever it is that they say, all different versions of narcissism, right. you know, whereas, whereas love is about giving of ourselves or being faithful and, and, and having that sense of permanence. Um, and so I think for these guys, learning that early on is really helpful. Yeah, so like, I, I can't stop thinking about this girl, at, you know, even while I'm at Adoration every day or whatever. And it's like, you just bring it up with your spiritual director, you talk it out, and it kind of, it just sort of goes away on its own. It, we don't need to make it bigger than it actually is. So that's okay. kind of the point that I'm trying to make there. Okay, yeah. And I think, there, I think that's a very important lesson, not just for priests and seminarians. And that's, I guess that's the point.
0: Right, and there's there's a plethora of information in here, be a disciple first. One of the things near the end of the book, you kind of talk about things that are really important to remember. One you say, hell is real. Why is it important for a priest to remember
1: that? Mm. I think that, I mean, (laughs) it sounds like a really dreary thing to say or melancholy thing to say, but it's at the heart of our faith is the fact that we have a Savior. and his his name is Jesus Christ, he came to save us from our sins, he came to save us from the result of our sins, which is that radical inward turn for eternity, which is called hell, and if we don't believe in hell, then we don't believe in the need for a savior, if we don't believe in the need for a savior, we're wasting our time, Right. right, I mean he came for a reason, he didn't just come to make us feel better about ourselves or to affirm us, right, he came to liberate us, and unless you realize that you're a a slave or a prisoner then then you're not going to want to be liberated because you don't know you need it so i think the, the the acknowledgement the recognition of hell which jesus talked about all the time he talked about hell actually more than he talked about heaven is is fundamental it's essential for us maintaining the fullness of the faith. And I think part of the reason for the dramatic drop-off in, in attendance and people receiving the sacraments and Catholics, in, at least in our part of the world, has been because we have not kept up the seriousness of what's going on. This is high stakes. Uh, heaven and hell are very real uh, and when we forget that, then we forget our need for being Catholics at all. One quick question. We're, we're
0: just about out of time. You say it's okay to be disliked, even in this world?
1: especially in this world, (laughs) it's okay to be disliked. There are going to be times when we have to say things, and a good father, a good husband is going to say things sometimes that aren't liked, um, and there there are things that don't make them popular, uh, but that's precisely what we have good fathers for, to tell us the truth, even when we're hopefully saying it nicely, saying it in charity, saying it with love, maybe even with a sense of humor, but saying it, uh, and even if it means we're not going to be liked, it doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to have done. That's right, and that's why we have priests like you, hopefully, Father Carter Griffin, author of
0: Forming Fathers, a seminary wisdom for every priest and probably for every father out there as well, available through our EWTN religious catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Thank you so much, Father, for joining us, and thank you all for joining us here on Bookmark. We shall see you next time. Thanks.